that song, Give Thanks. It's a, yeah, it's a throwback, right? Some of you remember that. Let's give thanks right now in prayer. Oh, God, we give thanks to you. Thank you for a common table in which you rest in, that we're invited to rest with. Be with us, God, as we learn today from Paul. Speak to us, O oh God, in the name of the three in one. Amen. Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Stephen Poor, and it is cold outside. So congratulations on bearing the first true cold day here in Richmond, Virginia. We went from summer to winter in a matter of days, and um, we're here, and some of you are really bummed out about it. To honor the cold weather, I decided to wear what looks like came from the scratch and dent from Gap, which is a mismatched flannel. But um, you'll find this will become very trendy very soon. <laughs> I'm just ahead of it. My name is Stephen Poore, and I'm one of the pastors on staff here. And I'm just so grateful that you're joining us today. Um, whether you're new or newer, uh, we welcome you. And if you are new, there's a Connect card in the back of your seat and hopefully a pin nearby. We would love it if you could fill out a Connect card. Um, and let us know who you are because then we'll help you take next steps. Now in a few minutes, what we're going to do is we're going to send our VIPs out of here. But, um, but while we kind of send them off, what I want you to do is take a moment and pass the peace. I want you to turn to your neighbor and um, maybe share a time when you wanted to imitate someone. Um, maybe, maybe it was because they wore sweet Adidas gazelles in middle school and you wanted to wear sweet Adidas gazelles in middle school to be like them. Maybe it was a, a coworker, someone that advanced in the organization quickly, and you wanted to advance in the organization quickly, and so you imitated them. When is the time you wanted to imitate a person, and who was that person? For me, it was in middle school. His name uh, was Michael Tooley. Um, and he was the coolest kid. He played soccer, and he was really good. He was on the travel soccer team. And he had Adidas gazelles. And so I went to my mom, and I said, Mom, I need a pair. Thank you, Alex. You get it. I said, Mom, I need a pair of Adidas gazelles because Michael Tooley has some Adidas gazelles. Go ahead and share with your neighbor and um, elementary kids. Go ahead back uh, with Casey right there in the middle. Let's clap for our elementary kids as they leave. They are our VIPs. Like the Pied Piper, Casey is leading them out. Go ahead and share with your neighbor. Go ahead. <laughs> Stephanie, what, who, who would you, what is a time you wanted to imitate someone? Oh, yeah. So she was like, I always tried to do the same thing she did. Oh, yeah. Totally. See, and that's what, that's what happens. I love that. All right, just a few more minutes. Come on back. Um, 
Come on back. Uh, I think if we're honest, there's all been times when we've tried to imitate someone. But let me tell you what annoys me the most as a father. When my son does the copycat thing. You know what I'm talking about? Like when I say something and all of a sudden he says the exact same thing. It's so annoying. Um, and then I yell out to him, there can only be one Highlander. And I battle him with a sword. <laughs> That's abuse. I don't do that. Yet in our workplace and many of our companies, we have guidelines. We have protocols that expect us to fall in line, to imitate the company policies. In weddings, we make couples light a unity candle as if they're throwing away their identity and individuality in order to become a couple with one another. This idea of intimidation, it runs throughout our culture and kind of permeates who we are, doesn't it? Even in our churches. We act like unity is this like incredibly important pinnacle to reach. But what we really want are people to worship like us. Mm. <laughs> what we really want is we want people to fall in line and not ask questions. Mm. <laughs> what we really want is for the pastor to be able to say, and it goes without question. Unity. We want unity. No, we want dictatorship. And it's really harmful. Many of you have been harmed by that. In our reading today, I, I want to give just a tiny bit of context. This um, particular text, it's an epistle from Paul. Uh, he was on house arrest at the time that this text was written, uh, roughly around 61 CE. Okay? For those that are keeping track, 61 CE, this means that this is one of the earliest manuscripts we have. It predates many of the Gospels. And so if you want an early look at what the church looked like, you look at Philippians and you look at Corinthians because that gives you a good example because that's the earliest text that we actually have. And so it can shed a lot of light. And in this particular text, I want to tell you about an argument that was taking place in the house church of Philippi. There was this woman, her name was Iodia. And there was another woman named Syntec. And there were some folks that were on Team Yodia. And there were some folks who were on Team Syntec. And um, kind of like Team Edward and Team Jacob. You know what I'm talking about? You remember that? It, people were taking sides. And it was dividing the church. Does this sound familiar? <laughs> Have you ever been a part of a church split? Taking sides? You know what I'm talking about. And this is the context in which Paul writes. Paul is writing to Philippi, begging them... For unity, but what happens is that nowadays we use this verse as a clobber verse for anyone that would disagree with the position on the church or the position of the pastor. We've seen it done time and time and time again. We've used this text historically to ask people of opposing views and different perspectives than the pastor to stay quiet for the sake of unity. Don't say black lives matter. All lives matter. Of course all lives matter to God. 
But in a broken and sinful world that we find ourselves in, black lives do not matter. (laughs) And so it is the job of the church to ensure that black lives matter. Right? We, we We say we want unity. We want unity. But no, we want people to be homogenous. That's what we really mean. We want people to be more white, to worship more white. And so we ask that they keep their culture and their ideas at the door rather than inviting the differences in and the different perspectives to hear what the Holy Spirit might be saying to us to move forward to be a more hospitable common table. Are you with me? (laughs) A common table for all people to sit at. Not just those of us with preference. And this is what makes Philippians 2, 1 through 2, it can be kind of problematic. Because it's a hard if-then statement for us to grapple with. If we're we're the kind of theologians that do what's called proof texting. Proof texting is when in theology we take one verse and allow that to form our entire theological narrative. That's called proof texting. Texting. If we were the type of theologians that would do proof texting, this would affirm our position of making sure that we're in unity with the church or with the pastor. But if we continued to read, we would find that Paul is saying something different. So if we look back at verse 1 through 2, it says, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness with compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one in mind. That's a clobber verse that you've probably had used in the past over you. It seems like Paul is asking people to erase their culture, their heritage, their traditions in the church. And you would be right if you were the type of person that just uses two verses to frame your theological paradigm. And a lot of churches sadly do. I know I've, I've done that as well in the past. Because there's something enticing about power. <laughs> all, all of us are enticed by power. Whether we like to admit it or not. Privilege is an intoxicating thing. And it can cloud our judgment. It can cloud our preferences. It can cloud our ability to make room for other people and other perspectives. But if we keep reading through Paul, we'll notice that Paul actually is saying something else. Because we're not people that proof text, are we? We're people that look at the entire text and then allow that to inform our theological perspective. So let's keep reading and see what Paul says in verse 3. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather in what? Do what? Who? (laughs) What? If we keep reading, we see that Paul has a different theological position. And suddenly he does what I like to call the Pauline switch. I just made that up. I've never heard of that in my entire life. But let's keep reading. Not looking to your own interest. Whoa, hold on. But each of you to be the to the interests of who? 
Mm. Mm. The interest of others. The interest of others. I'm going to do something audacious and say it a little differently than Paul. Not looking to your own interest, not your preference, but rather the inclusion of others. The same mind, the same love, one spirit and one mind in which Paul speaks of in 2.2 is not about erasing differences. Because, well, look, he immediately urges them to regard the other as more important. Verse 4 clearly places yourself and others, the community, side by side. Even, equal. One author writes, the self is not a a negation of the other or vice versa. Paul demonstrates that a self-other binary should not be the measure or the model of human social relations. In other words, the self is not a model of sameness. You are not the model of sameness. An institution that implicitly and explicitly advocates for sameness is missing the mark on what it means to be a community of Christ. As as Emmanuel Levinas has demonstrated in his book, Totality and Infinity, he says this, Totality is about absorbing others into the self, into the same. It is subjugating others into the likeness of the self, putting others in the box of the self. It does not let the other be the other. In a sense, the totality is an absolutization and a totalization of a particular. In many predominantly white churches like this, people who come from other culture backgrounds are often forced to behave white. To speak white languages, to sing white songs, to dress like the Gap Scratch and Dent store in similar clothes. Who let me leave the house in this? It's actually a really, honestly, I really do love this thing. Um, it's like my favorite new flannel. It's amazing. He continues. Unity seems to be practiced as uniformity. Paul's statement on unity in verse 3 has to be understood not as a call for uniformity, but as making space for others, as an opening oneself for others. It is about being hospitable. (laughs) If as a community, if as a community we want To become like Christ, we must start with how Christ became one of us. I'm going to say that again. If as a community we want to become like Christ, we must start with how Christ became one of us. That is our starting place. Christ offers us a different kind of community, a different kind of unity that's found solely in hospitality to the other. And you look at the lifestyle of Christ. Christ isn't going to the inside. Christ is going to the 
outside of culture to bring people not into the in crowd, but into the inward place of Christ. There, there's a difference. Christ isn't asking the Samaritan people who are the most um, hated people of the Israelites. He isn't going to the Samaritan and saying, become one of us Israelites. No, Christ is going to the Samaritan and saying, come inward to me and see what I have to offer you and the Samaritan people. Christ goes to the lepers who would have to historically scream at the top of their lungs when they're going into a public square, unclean. And Christ doesn't tell them, come in and be a part of our Israelite community. No, come in and let me touch you. Come into me. Be a part of what I'm doing, what my hospitality. You see, Christ doesn't subscribe to social norms of inclusion. So if we read the entire text, if Christ is our model of inclusion, then our churches must exemplify diversity, the same way that Christ exemplifies and models and acts towards diversity. Christ doesn't uh, invite the creme de la creme to become disciples. He calls the blue-collared worker. Christ doesn't invite the people that have it all together. He invites the outsider to come as they are to the common table that's been set. You see, unity and diversity is almost an oxymoron. But hear this. Unity without diversity is oppressive. Some of us need to hear that again. I know I do. Unity and diversity is almost an oxymoron. But unity without diversity is oppressive. Common table, we need more diversity. We do. We, we try our best to include diverse songs and diverse worship, diverse teaching, but we need more diversity. We need to extend the common table. <laughs> Are you with me? We need to set more plates. We need those plates to look different. We need to create more hospitable environments for people that don't look like us and talk like us. And it starts in our friendships. It starts in the way that we model it in our own communities, in our own friendships, in our own relationships. Are our relationships equally as oppressive? Or are they inclusive? <laughs> Do we have queer friends? Do we have people of color that are friends with us, that, that inform our decision-making, that, that help us see things that we're otherwise unable to see? Or do we only have white friends? Or do we have people that look like us, talk like us? So what does it look like? And I'm going to invite the band up. I'm going to offer two things we can do. First, we can share it. We can find people on the outside just like Christ did, 
and bring them to the inside of who Christ is. We can create hospitable space in our home. You can create hospital space in your lunch hour. You can invite someone who looks different than you, thinks differently than you, to lunch. And begin a relationship. Hear the stories. Observe. Listen. Bear witness. We can do that as a church as well. So that we can be unified. You see what I'm saying? Unity is not homogenous. Unity is inclusive. Like my shirt. That's why I wore it. So first you can share it. Then we can share in it. We can share in it. We can be the ones that are aware of what we're presenting. We can be the ones to choose different songs. We can be the ones to preach different narratives. We are the ones that can have different preachers preach up front. We are the ones that get to serve and, and be hospitable. We are the ones that get to dictate what inclusion and diversity looks like. And so we need you. We need you to share. We need you to participate. We need you at the table. We need you to set the table. We need you to invite your diverse friends. And you need to keep us accountable that we're hearing and listening. Sharing it. And I believe if we do these things, I believe that if we do these things, God will continue to move in radical ways, not only in this community, but in our city as well. For the goodness of the unity that is found in Christ Jesus in the name of the three in one.